The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure you get the best experience. This show is sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For high-quality printed t-shirts, coasters, placemats, mugs and drinks containers, stickers and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie for a no-obligation quote. You can find CDS Print and Design on Instagram, Facebook, and now Etsy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can subscribe to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. A target of 30 subscribers is the aim, and with your help, I know that's more than possible. The goal is to be able to release bonus content to subscribers and to get Haunted UK Podcast merchandise out there and available to all you amazing listeners. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are David Butler, Mark Denny, Mark Lewis, Brooke Asquith, Lindsay Caulfield, and last but not least, Zoe Talbot. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod and on YouTube. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. Whilst stood in the church area, both myself and my colleague heard voices, 
almost like singing. We also heard footsteps, even though we were both standing still. It was amazing looking round and we walked the halls of the school chatting about what had happened there and how we would not be surprised if it was haunted. When leaving the building, the security guards asked us if we had heard or saw anything in there, and when we talked about what we'd heard, they said they often see faces at the windows and flashes of things inside. This is the first finale episode of Season 3 of the Haunted UK Podcast, and it's over to you amazing listeners as you entertain us, terrify us, and send shivers down our spines with your listener stories. Well, season three has finally come to an end and has hopefully been enjoyed by all of you amazing listeners. Before we begin to get started on the many fantastic stories which have been sent in, I need to issue a few thank yous. Never did I think that this small podcast would be able to bring in any amount of revenue, but I've been so incredibly humbled and blown away by the sheer kindness and generosity of all those people who have donated to the show via coffee. I simply cannot thank you all enough. Next, I'd like to thank every single one of you out there who have stuck with the show through its development to its hopefully final running format. All of you who have either listened, subscribed, reviewed or followed on Instagram have made this show what it is today. Without all of you out there who have tuned in and listened, this show would be nothing. Again, I cannot thank you all enough. It's simply amazing and it never fails to mess with my head when I look at the listener figures. Last of all, to everyone who has taken time out to type out their stories and send them into the show, a huge thank you. It never fails to amaze me the sheer amount of stories that come through, some of them being terrifying others being heartbreaking, but all of them being fantastic. I'm always so incredibly grateful that you feel confident enough to send in experiences to the show, that you feel that a level of trust, respect and sincerity will be applied to your stories. I hope I do every single one of them real justice for you. Thank you once again for sending them in. It comes as no surprise that Season 2's Listener Stories finale was a really big hit with a huge amount of listeners. And this was also reflected by the fact that the first episode of Season 3 
a house that didn't want to be a home, was solely constructed by two listeners whose stories were so full of detail that they needed an episode to tell them fully. These stories and many more seem to begin flooding in, and there are another two episodes in Season 4 which are also based around particular listener stories, so stay tuned for those. It's one thing researching a place or an incident for a new episode, but it's a completely different thing when you are reading out stories which are sent in to you by the people who listen to your show. It really is an amazing honour to relay them to an audience who will fully appreciate them. Many of these stories have absolutely sent shivers down my spine whilst I've been reading them, whilst others have gripped me tightly with an air of fascination. I really hope that they did the same for you. So without any further delay, welcome to the end of Season 3 finale and your listener stories, Part 1. A tale in Season 2's listener stories finale was kindly sent in by Claire Milton, She now returns to tell more. In my first foster home, I experienced many strange things, such as the feeling of a cat gently pouring me on my back at night. Upon fully waking up, I would check and see no claw marks. I also had the experience of seeing a young man in blue denim jeans and a white polo top disappear through a wall at the top of the stairs but there was only a solid wall in the location where he disappeared. I was seven years old when I went to live with who I call my mum and dad in 1993. They fostered both me and my brother, and almost immediately after we moved in, there was a strange feeling to the place, as if I was never alone. Over the years, this gradually got worse. Creaking stairs disembodied voices and even strange visions and images in my head. I always felt that there were a number of spirits in that room with me, most notably a young boy, three or four years of age, and an old lady. There seemed to be a grandson-grandmother connection between them, and this was later confirmed to me when one evening I heard an old lady's voice say, Well done, grandson. Other spirits included two or three, how I would describe them at the time, cowboy-type figures who would be seated around a fairly large table with green felt on it. They would always be playing some type of card game, and this would happen most nights at around 7.30pm until I finally fell asleep. It got so bad that I ended up not so politely asking them to go away and leave me alone. Finally, when I reached 13 in 1998, it just stopped. Or at least these spirits decided to leave me alone. In 2000, I moved in with my third and final foster family, and I really thought that all of this strangeness had come to an end. But it hadn't. One evening, I distinctly saw what looked like a headless black cat run from one side of my room and straight through the radiator wall by my window. Again, nothing else really happened until 2006. I had moved into a new house with my then partner and my daughter. She was less than a year old at the time, and late one evening an experience happened which not only comforted me, but also left me completely confused. Waking up suddenly for no reason, 
I was greeted by the sight of a man with dreadlock-type hair who simply said that I wasn't to worry about my daughter as he would always watch over her and make sure she was okay. Who was this man? And what connection did he have with me and my daughter? Was this a vision or was this something in my head at the time? I've never seen him since, but as my daughter got a little older, things seemed to get more ominous. We moved her into her own bedroom, but this room felt like it had a presence in it which didn't seem to want me there. Things would happen in that room like lights flashing from nowhere. I can only describe them as being like 1920s type camera flashbulbs. Items would also go missing and then reappear, like a lid on a hot drinks mug. I can remember it being on the mug one minute, then gone the next. My partner and I would search for ages for it. Then it would just turn up next to the milk in another room. I decided to try and get some help and was told that I really needed to get some sage and bless every room. I wanted to get this done as quickly as possible, but only had a lavender candle at the time, but lit it and went through the process anyway. I apologised to whatever was causing all of this disruption in our lives and offered them the opportunity to coexist in the house with our family. But could they please lift the heavy atmosphere that still lingered in my daughter's room? I then said the Lord's Prayer, and almost immediately the room felt better. But it didn't stop the strange happenings entirely. We used to have my daughter's cousin Jamie come around quite regularly and stay over. Whatever was in the house seemed to be drawn to both children, but especially to Jamie. On one occasion, when they were both together in my daughter's bedroom, we clearly heard her tell someone to stop being so horrible to Jamie. When I asked who she was talking to, she pointed up to who she believed was a threatening man, but there was nobody there. On another occasion, when my daughter would have been around four or five years old, Jamie said that he saw her go to the toilet, when she should have been in bed. What I didn't tell Jamie was that I'd seen a little girl, around four or five years old, with long dark brown hair in a christening type dress, walk down the hallway previously. I made the excuse to go and see if my daughter needed help in the toilet. But there she was, tucked up in bed, fast asleep. I asked Jamie if he would describe to me what the girl looked like. He said the same thing, white dress and dark brown hair. My daughter had light brown hair with natural blonde highlights, so we knew it definitely wasn't her. Had Jamie seen the same spirit that I had? I began calling this girl Angela. I don't know why, but it just seemed right. The sad thing was that not long after, we moved out of that property and I never saw her again. In 2013, I had moved into my own flat, but for some reason I hated going near the window. I would feel as if someone or something wanted to push me out of it. But this soon passed as I'd used the experience I'd gained from previous incidents and asked whatever was in the house to stop the negative feelings. Things calmed down, but didn't stop entirely. My keys were one item which this particular spirit enjoyed moving. On one occasion, I know that I'd left them on my sofa, and I'd even got my neighbour in to help me to try and find them, 
but to no avail. After much searching, my neighbour gave up and commented that she was going back home. As we both turned to head towards the door, there they were. My keys sat on the sofa where I'd left them in the first place. I even began putting them in a plastic bowl to make sure that I didn't misplace them, but they simply vanish and turn up somewhere else. Again, I asked the spirit to stop its games, or I would organise a priest to come in and rid it from the house. This seemed to do the trick as far as the moving keys were concerned, but an incident that happened while I was having a bath convinced me that whoever this spirit was, it wasn't going to leave me entirely alone. As I was lying in the bath, I had the horrible feeling of someone being in the room with me. Someone who was about to literally jump out and scare me to death. I again spoke out, saying something like, I don't want to hear your story. But I have to admit that if something would have answered me back, it would have scared me to death. In the years that have passed, only a few other things have happened. But they're still strange. Like when I was woken up by a distinctly female voice saying my name and telling me to wake up. The voice was very soft and friendly, as if it was trying to wake a child up who was having a bad dream. I have a feeling that this may have been my Aunt Nellie watching over me. She sadly passed away long before I was born, but I still feel that she is around. Then there was my cat Custer. I owe Custer my life as I live it now, as he woke me up when I was having a terrible experience due to a very bad reaction to a polio immunization. If he hadn't woke me up, I very much doubt that I'd be here now. Last of all was the weird incident that happened with a battery-powered crow figurine, which used to talk if you walked past it and triggered the sensor. This thing would regularly begin talking on its own when I wasn't even in the room. Batteries have been changed many times and all seems well, then it starts to set itself off again and begin talking. I've now resorted to switching it off entirely, and so far, this seems to have solved the issue. So there you have it, my many strange paranormal experiences over the years, though I'm sure that I'll have many more in the future. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, you'll remember that in the Listener Stories episodes at the end of Season 2, I commented that it's so unusual but amazing to get stories from people in the emergency services. We had two fantastic tales from NHS nurses that were both incredibly touching. And now, we have a story from a special constable working with the police force. As requested by this listener... All mentions of persons' names and places have been removed due to the potential sensitivity of those involved. The listener writes, In my spare time, I'm a special constable and I work alongside the regular police force, but only on a purely voluntary basis. One evening on shift, I was working with a colleague and he needed to return some items that were confiscated from some individuals who had been stealing materials from an old abandoned building. Due to the technicalities of the case, the items needed to be either returned or destroyed. But due to where we got them, we chose to return as we wanted to do a little exploration using our position in the police to gain entry to a building that the public were not allowed to access. The building in question 
was an old boarding school. There have been many stories of the abuse done to the children who attended this school, and there are rumours of unmarked graves and other atrocities in the grounds. The building is now abandoned and is under 24-7 surveillance and has two on-site security guards. It's closed to the public, but people have been known to break in and steal whatever they can. Myself and a colleague arrived at the building in the small hours of a wet and dark Saturday morning. It was around 1am and we spoke with the security guards to gain access to the building. We entered with the intent of returning the items that had been stolen previously to the point where they were found as part of the theft. The building is falling to pieces now, and I can tell you that it really feels dark and miserable inside. It's like you can feel the presence of misery, and as we walked around we both got the sense of being followed. As a police officer, you usually find yourselves in uncomfortable places, and over the years I have become used to this. I'm not someone who scares easily, but I can assure you that I felt very uncomfortable walking around that building. There are still many things just lying around that would have been part of the original school, and we used our time in there to do a little exploring out of our own fascination. We came across beds on the upper floors with old handcuffs still attached to them. We found small holding cells with old iron bars just lying on the floor, and I can only imagine what some of the kids must have gone through. Whilst stood in the church area, both myself and my colleague heard voices, almost like singing. We also heard footsteps, even though we were both standing still. It was amazing looking round, and we walked the halls of the school chatting about what had happened there and how we would not be surprised if it was haunted. When leaving the building, the security guards asked if we'd heard or saw anything in there, and when we talked about what we'd heard, they said that they often see faces at the windows and flashes of things inside. I'm sure a little more research would turn up some interesting details about the place. But that's for another time. Love the podcast, and please keep the episodes coming. All the very best. As with the stories which we heard from Claire Milton earlier... Mark Wilson is also another listener who kindly donated content to the end of Season 2 Listener Stories episodes. He has kindly written in with another story involving a friend, and also gives details of the possible causes. Mark writes, I have a friend who is very interested in these topics, and who also listened to my story on your end of Season 2 Listener Stories episodes. She is a friend who says at times she gets psychic feelings. She used to live close to Baddersley Clinton in Warwickshire, between Lapworth and Chadwick End. She appears to think the people who lived there at Baddersley Clinton House in times gone by were bad. She feels that the area close to Packwood, Lapworth, Dorridge and Knoll, also close by, are also harbouring some past secrets and they're not good things that happen there, she claims. She says when she's travelling around the country lanes nearby, she feels this. At St Michael's Church in Baddersley Clinton in particular, she says it feels very weird. 
At Baddesley Clinton in the early 1490s, the owner, one Nicholas Brome, murdered a priest there. Brome returned home late one evening after being away and found his wife sitting with the priest in what he believed was an uncompromising position. He was chocking her under the chin. This probably meaning comforting or maybe kissing or stroking or even tickling her face. No one knows for sure. However, Brome wasn't happy and struck or stabbed the man and he bled to death in what is now the library, but was once thought to be the main parlour in the 15th century. A bloodstain is visible on the wooden floor next to a fireplace, but apparently it's not the blood of the priests. The parlour is now thought to have been in a different location, and it's not certain where the library was in the early 1490s. Brome was in disgrace wherever the murder had happened in the house. As it was before the Reformation in Old Catholic England, he had to build the local church for penance and gain a pardon. He also required a pardon for the murder of John Hartill, around 25 years previously. This was penance that needed to be asked for from Rome, in particular from Pope Alexander VI and Henry VII, who was the king at the time in 1496. Brome finally did get his pardon. He needed to show this in stone and mortar. He built the small church of St. Michael situated near the house, now at the end of the pathway in the small copse behind the car park. He also built the church and tower at nearby Packwood, which is St. James. It's fairly clear that these churches were built by the same person, as they share very similar architectural features. The bell towers of the churches are known as the Towers of Atonement. In addition, fearing for his immortal soul having murdered a priest, he belonged to no fewer than eight religious fraternities by the time of his death. This ensured that the priests of those fraternities would pray for his soul. There's an inscription in the church of Baddesley Clinton suggesting his need for penance and of his building of the church. He also requested to be buried upright as a punishment for his bad deeds when he died in 1517. It is believed that he was buried upright in the church porch. There is a small stone inscription in the porch marking the spot. But is he actually at rest? Following the Reformation, things got dramatic at Baddersley. In the parliaments of 1571 and 1581, Acts were passed in which Catholics were made traitors. The treason acts were made harsher at a time of political and religious unrest. The West Midlands area in general, and in particular the Forest of Arden in Warwickshire where Baddersley Clinton stood, were homes to Catholic gentry. The Vox sisters rented Baddersley Clinton from Henry Ferrers. Ferrer's father had inherited the house from Nicholas Brome through marriage. They were Catholic, and after 1580, when the Jesuit priests Edmund Campion and Robert Parsons came back to England to fight for the Catholic Counter-Reformation, many priests travelled to such Catholic homes. Campion was executed after being found in Oxfordshire, but he lived on in the hearts and minds of others inspiring other Catholic Jesuit priests as they travelled around in secret to say Mass in such country houses like Baddersley, 
Of course, this was a crime in the eyes of the state, and they had to be hidden. The local authorities sent the Pursuvians, or local militia, to these houses to root out these traitors to the Protestant state. They would measure the internal and external walls and features to calculate if they measured up properly. If things didn't literally add up, or there were suspected secret passages, they would tear the house apart. They also checked for body heat, or if the beds had been slept in. One priest, Father John Gerard, tells that he was at Baddesley Clinton in 1590. He hid in a priest hole to escape the Pursuvians looking for him. The quick-thinking servants of the house turned the bedding over so it was cold to the touch, and appeared not slept in. Drastic measures were needed because if these Catholics were found, they were hung, drawn, and quartered for treason. As a result, there are priest holes built there. They were built into the remaining drains by a guy named Nicholas Owen, who designed and built secret passages into other houses in the Midlands. Baddersley also has links with the gunpowder plot, as the Vox sisters may have been well aware when the plot was foiled. Lapworth also has gunpowder plot links due to Robert Catesby, the main plotter being born in Bushwood Grange, Lapworth. I mentioned Bushwood Grange and the lane it is on where my other friend's horses would not travel down in episode 20, Listener Stories, Volume 1. So perhaps bad things have happened in the area. Another Tudor history ghost story comes from a friend I have not seen for a while, and this is third hand. She had a friend who grew up in the north of England, County Durham to be exact. This friend grew up in an old 16th or 17th century farmhouse. He was about to go out with a friend one evening. They looked into the front room which had been an old parlour as they thought they had heard someone in there, his mother I think. They nipped in to say that they were going out. They were shocked to see a girl of around six years old dressed in woolen clothing, looking like she was from another time. She was sitting at a table and she did actually acknowledge them. They apparently asked her who the monarch was at the time and she answered James. King James I possibly, or maybe James II. The girl then disappeared. Who knows what happened here? I hope these stories help the show. All the best. Mark Wilson Our next story comes from Ashling in Kent, who had an extremely strange and terrifying experience while she was on holiday with her partner in America. Ashling says, Thank you very much for the podcast. Very good listening, and I'm enjoying it lots, and thanks for the recommendations at the end. I just wanted to contribute with my own story which you're welcome to use, but if not, no problem at all. My experience was while I was in the USA. I was at an Airbnb in Florida, Homestead, just south of Miami, with my then-boyfriend, who is now my husband. We were sleeping in a double bed with a full-length mirror leaning against the wall at the end of the bed on my side. In the middle of the night, I woke up hearing a screeching, horror movie-style scream. As I was waking up, 
I felt my body being lifted up so I was sitting upright in bed. I need to assure you that I was not sitting up by myself. Then I realized that the horror movie like Screech or Scream was coming from me and at the same time I had seen the shoulder of a man wearing a red checkered lumberjack style shirt disappear into the mirror at the end of the bed as if he had just run into it. All of this happened within seconds. My boyfriend was holding on to me, asking if I was okay. Obviously, I had scared him. I told him what had happened, but to my disappointment, he put it down to lucid dreaming. Although he will admit that he has never heard such a scream come out of me or anyone else before. I spent the remainder of the night laying awake in bed, waiting for the morning to come. I'm normally a very still and peaceful sleeper, so this is completely out of character. I have no idea what actually happened that night, for my body to lift up of its own accord and for such a screech to be made. My husband still thinks it's lucid dreaming, but he takes me seriously when I have banned him from ever buying a red checkered lumberjack style shirt. Hope this is interesting for you, and thanks again for the great podcast. I'd be extremely interested to hear from other listeners out there who either have experience of lucid dreams or of sleep paralysis. Could one of these possibilities be responsible for what happened to Ashling, Or was it something else? Many experiences with the paranormal come down to feelings of dread, foreboding, Entering a particular room or place and having that eerie feeling that someone or something is there with you. Completely invisible, but watching you. It's very rare that witnesses actually see a full-body apparition of a person. But in our next story, this is exactly what Richard witnesses. I've listened to your podcast for a while now and thought I'd share my story. I grew up in a house in a northeast coastal town, which I believe was built in around the 1960s. The house was a very normal-looking house and looked like a bungalow from the front, but had bedrooms in the roof. As you walked in the front door, there was a small hall with a bathroom off to the right and the lounge off to the left, with stairs leading up to the bedroom straight in front. As you got to the top of the stairs, my bedroom was on the right and my sister's on the left, with only the width of the stairs separating both rooms. It was early evening in the winter months as it was dark outside, and I was between six to eight years old. I'd been a bit naughty and was told off by my mum, so feeling sorry for myself, I'd gone to the top of the stairs and sat there sulking. The lights were off, but my dad was in the bathroom, just off the hallway, getting ready to go out so there was a bit of light coming from the bathroom and the lounge. As I sat there sulking, looking down the stairs, I noticed from the corner of my eye some movement coming from my bedroom. So I turned my head to look, and I saw a lady with her hair pulled back into a bun, wearing a long flowing gown with her hands cupped in front of her. She was an older lady and walked, or glided, from my room into my sister's bedroom. 
Frightened, I immediately ran downstairs and burst into the bathroom where my dad was, explaining to him what I'd just seen. During the commotion, my mum came into the hallway and upon hearing my story, she said to dad, Remember that's what I saw when we first moved into the house. Only mum had seen her in the kitchen. She then watched her go through the wall and into the driveway. Following the sighting, it took me a few weeks to sleep upstairs again, and I always had to sleep with the light on, even as an adult. Mum still lives in the house to this day, but nobody has saw the ghost again. I do believe in ghosts, and I know what I saw that night. It wasn't a trick of the light, or me retelling my mum's story as I wasn't aware of her sighting beforehand. I can remember the incident like it was yesterday, and have told friends over the years the same story, and it hasn't changed. It's actually amazing how many people have their own story or strange event. What ghosts are, I don't know. Maybe a blip in space and time, or buildings holding onto a memory. But what I do know is what I saw was a real experience. And just because science can't explain it at the moment, it doesn't make it untrue. An absolutely fascinating encounter. I would love to know a little more about the history of the area or the house that your mum still lives in and the surrounding houses. Maybe there's a story behind the ghost. A little research may uncover something completely surprising. Jack Henderson emailed the show with three amazing stories and they all have one common factor which links them all together. You'll soon find out what that common factor is, but before I begin with Jack's stories, it has to be said that what follows is one of the best examples of something, possibly from the paranormal realm, attaching itself to a human host, and following that host throughout their life so far. I found these tales completely astonishing, but also very, very creepy. First of all, you're more than welcome to use my name, which is Jack, and any place names which are mentioned. I love your podcast. Brilliant and informative. I have three stories which I hope you, and the listeners, will find very interesting. So my first experience with the paranormal was when I was around 15 years old and I was at a friend's house. Just to give you a little bit of background on the house... It's a gatehouse for an old school from around the 1940s. Not entirely sure, but it had that type of architecture and was apparently originally for delinquent boys. It's located directly opposite the Strawberry Fields gates. I'd been there many times before the school had closed and it was a nice place to play with a big playing field that we had access to. So many a summer's day was spent playing there. The school was located around 200 metres away from the house and was hidden by some trees. I'd previously had some strange experiences in the house like hearing disembodied footsteps, noises from the loft and random objects being moved around the place, but nothing too spooky. So back to the day of the event. My friends were having a barbecue and a bit of a party as it was a nice day and the football was on. Me and my friend, let's call him David, 
were playing and having fun doing races from the house up to the school and back. This is where it happened. The school had been shut for around two years at this point, and there were boxes and things in the windows, and it wasn't being maintained at all. So David and I ran to the school, turned around, ran back to the house, picked up a scooter, and scooted back over to the school. As we reached the car park, which was the turning around point, I tripped. As I was getting up, I looked up at the upper story window, and there was an unmistakable black shadowy figure stood there staring back at me. I was sat there for around three minutes, and it was only when David came back up to see where I'd gone that me and this thing actually broke eye contact. I couldn't believe what I'd seen and became so distressed. As a result, I didn't go back up to the school after that day. The really strange thing was, was that David's dad had a set of keys to the school just in case of an emergency. And I later found out that day that he'd had four notifications about the school's alarm system being triggered. And every time he went to check, there was no one there and no sign of any damage. This was a relatively new alarm installed whilst the building had been vacant. My second story took place while I was at work, just walking out to go for a smoke with a colleague. He's always been into the paranormal, going on ghost hunts, etc. It was a large open unit with roller shutters at the front and a door to the side. There were no lights on as the skylights gave enough natural light. The shutters were down and the door was shut, so no chance for any glare or shadows. I was walking behind my colleague who we'll call Ken. So Ken turned around to talk to me just before we opened the door, and at that moment, he froze, and all the colour drained from his body. I saw him shake his head, turn around, and run out of the door. What the hell was going on, I thought. Once we got outside, I asked him what had happened. He told me there was a black shadow figure following me from the back of the workshop, bearing in mind that it was just me and him alone in there together. He said when he saw it, it kept moving towards me, and then it just vanished. I was too spooked to go back in there alone, and we spent the entire day in each other's direct line of sight. My last story that I have for you today is about the house that I live in now. So it's a 1930s semi-detached house. My fiancé and myself decided to purchase it as a project to get us onto the property ladder about two years ago. I'd been working there all day alone, headphones in, and didn't really feel anything. It just felt like a normal, nice house. I'd gone back to my fiancé's for some food once I'd finished at the house, but I needed some stuff for the next day, so we decided to venture out and do a little shopping. We got what I needed and went to drop it back off at the house. At the time, the house was bare, no plaster or anything around. It was literally a shell. We arrived at the house at around 9.45pm, and it was very quiet and dark, with no one around and no cars anywhere. I gave her the key to go and open up. I started to get the bits and pieces together from the back of the van, and as I turned to begin walking towards the house, 
I notice her staring at the open door, looking terrified. I walked over and asked her what was the matter. She said that there was a black shadowy figure that she'd seen walk from the lounge to the kitchen and then disappear. Let's just say I dropped the stuff, locked the house and we both left immediately. It couldn't have been a reflection or one of our own shadows as there were no windows in that area of the house and outside was in complete darkness. We have since moved in but have never had any other experience. All the best, Jack Henderson. For our last batch of stories, we hear from listener Keith Dale. Keith's knowledge and experiences around Dudley Castle in the immediate area are fascinating, and there are some slight differences between some stories which were told to Keith by a paranormal guide at the castle and to my very first episode of the podcast when I was researching it back in May and June 2021. Keith has also been kind enough to include a story which involves his mum. I'm from West Bromwich originally, and have visited Dudley Castle many times over the years from a kid to now. So on a ghost walk a fair few years back, the story of the police officer in the battlements was told. Only it was said there had been a burglary in the area, and the culprits had got into the zoo's grounds to escape the police. One police officer went up the battlements to get a better view of the area with the hope of seeing the culprits trying to escape. When he returned back down, his colleagues told him all the while that he was up there, they could see a black shadowy figure following him around. So a very similar take on that one. There are reports of a couple in 1930s attire walking through the entrance to the castle courtyard. Also, as you turn left on entering the zoo from the pay booths walking up the hill past the flamingos, there was apparently a werewolf sighting and story which was told to me by a guide on a Dudley ghost walk back in the 90s. I've tried recently to find out more info on this, but just keep getting the American Werewolf in London movie reviews that they screened in the castle grounds in 2017. If you go outside the zoo grounds and walk up Castle Hill following the wall to the grounds heading to Wren's Nest, you will come to the Priory ruins on a common. The Priory has its own paranormal stories, which links to an experience myself and my wife had on a ghost walk in the castle grounds. Anyway, back to the Priory. If you look across the common as it's getting dark, there are shadows of hollows in the grass all over the place that you can clearly see. And these were apparently ducking pools for witches and nagging wives. So back to the ghost walk in the castle. We were taken to a once boarded up section past the undercroft that had been opened up to the public. We went inside and the guide told us a story of the ghost of a Benedictine monk from the priory that was known to throw small stones, push and pinch people. We then went into another room and by this time it was around 10.30pm and quite dark. The guide was telling stories of the castle when my wife said to me, Can you hear footsteps from above walking across? To which I replied, No. There couldn't be anybody walking above us as there was no longer any floor 
and you could see the sky. At almost the same time, the guide said there used to be a floor above, which was a guardroom. So who or what did my wife hear? Was it the sound of a guard? As we were talking, I said to my wife, can you smell food, cooking like roast potatoes? Bear in mind there was nothing close to our position that served or cooked food. No sooner had I mentioned it, the smell was gone. The guide again surprised us by informing us that the room next to where we were was the kitchen. Very strange. So we walk outside back up towards the undercroft, and we were well behind the group as my wife was, at the time, waiting for two knee replacements. So we were slow compared to the group, but this didn't bother us at all. As we were walking past the stone bay window part, which we had previously been inside, I heard what I can only explain as the noise what you would hear from monks chanting, if you know what I mean. But just the beginning bit. I looked at my wife, and she said, Did you hear that? And I said, What? And she said, Monks starting to chant. To which I replied, Yes. It was very clear and we both looked at the bay window part expecting to see someone messing around, but there was no one there. We kept looking back, just to make sure, but still no one. I think you need to be away from the crowd to experience those things at times. We're both quite open, and have had a fair few experiences together and individually. Anyway, just a little something I thought I'd share with you. As with everyone who writes in with their stories and experiences, I always reply to thank each and every single person. But I always ask that if they have had any further experiences, would they consider sending those over as well? Well, Keith didn't disappoint. I also asked him to elaborate a little on the ghost walk, which he and his wife went on at Dudley Castle and the surrounding places of interest. And this is his reply. So, the ghost walk. You meet in the station hotel, have a guided tour there with various stories, which now reminds me of an experience I had staying there once. I had actually forgotten about that, but I will come back to that in a little while. Anyway, after the station hotel, you do a Dudley Town tour of various haunted locations and end up in the zoo to finish off. This walk was particularly memorable due to the fact that the guides were dressed in Victorian costume and each story at the various locations had someone dressed up as the said ghost. These ghostly actors would walk past so you'd just catch a glimpse of them at the corner of your eye or they would jump out on the unsuspecting group. As you can imagine, these people had stories of their own. Imagine lying in wait in the castle on your own in the dark for a group of people to walk past to jump out on them. I would personally say, no thanks. One such person was waiting by the stone bay window. This was where we'd heard the monks chant on a later ghost walk. A said actor was waiting to jump out on the poor unsuspecting group. He heard numerous footsteps of people and the muffled sound of talking coming towards where he was. He waited until the right moment and jumped out. 
only to find that there was nobody there. Another story that was told to us regarded a figure seen walking across the battlements. It was the Grey Lady, the guide said, and as he was telling the tale of this apparition to the group, a lady dressed as the ghost walked across the battlements to add the dramatic feel. Whilst this was going on, a member of the then group asked the guide why there were two people dressed up walking across the battlements. The guide and everyone else in that group only saw the actress dressed up. But who else was up on the battlements with her? So, going back to the station hotel and our experience. Myself and my wife stayed overnight there. At the time, we were going to see a couple of friends who were in a heavy metal band at JB's. They were doing a set, so we decided to book the hotel as opposed to travelling back to Derby where we lived at the time. I forget what room number we had, but it was directly underneath the infamous room 214. But we didn't know this at the time. Anyway, we arrived and booked in, and the lady gave us a TV remote for our room. The remote had the room number on the back of it, and we went up to the room and got ourselves ready to go out. As you entered the room, there was a double bed immediately to the left with a large chest of drawers at the bottom with the TV on top. As you entered the room towards the end of the bed on the right, there were drawers, tea-making stuff and a wardrobe. At the end of the room was a large bay window with old sash windows. To the left of the bay was a false wall with a door and a side going to the edge of the bay. This was the toilet and shower. In the bay were a couple of single chairs. We put the TV on whilst getting ready to go out. I switched it off and I distinctly remember putting the TV remote down by the tea-making stuff on the right of the room. We went out, watched the gig, went to the fish and chip shop and then back to the hotel. We'd had a few drinks, but we were in no way drunk. As soon as we opened the door, I noticed instantly the remote was by the side of the TV at the bottom of the bed. That's strange, I thought. Furthermore, when I put the TV on, it was just static. Upon investigation, the aerial coax lead had been literally ripped out of the wall and showed the bare coax wire core. This was very strange. But I said to my wife that it could be someone from the hotel messing about to make things look as if some sort of paranormal activity had been going on. As we know, hoteliers have master keys to all of their rooms, so who knows? So I rang room service and they got someone to come up to sort it out. I mentioned what had happened regarding the remote, but the fella didn't comment much on this, as if it wasn't the first time that he'd heard of something like this happening. We went to bed with the TV on, and I remember the Dukes of Hazard movie being on at the time. My wife had dropped off to sleep, and probably after about an hour or so, something caught my eye that was to the right of the bay window by the chair. As I looked, it started to get more dense, like a dark grey mist, and it moved from where it was to the left side of the bay window, and then just faded away. It was about two feet off the ground, and its size was about three feet high and around a foot wide. It was one of those moments where your brain is just not registering what it's seeing. 
It was gone before you realised it, but seemed like it had been there for ages as well. This was around 2am, so there was no traffic around for it to be something like light movement. On leaving the hotel in the morning, I told the lady at the front desk, and she just wasn't surprised at all by what I'd seen. This was when she told me what room we were underneath. 214. Another story which I'd like to relate to you involves my mum. I think you'll find this one very interesting. I don't know if you know West Brom very well, but there's an old house off Oak Road called Oak House, which is a yeoman farmer's house built in 1620. In 1650, it was given a brick extension. Anyway, this house was supposedly somewhere that Oliver Cromwell stayed. I had also heard that there were tunnel links to Dudley Castle from this house, but I don't know how true that is. From a baby until her 20s, my mum, who is now 86, lived just up the road on a small holding called Copson's Farm. Originally, this was called Oak Farm. She vividly recalls this building having very worn stone steps in the staircase. She also said in the cellar there was a blocked-off doorway that her dad, my grandfather, had said was a tunnel linking to the Oak House, and this would have been used during the Civil War by parliamentary forces. My mum is adamant about the truth of this story. The fact that the building she lived in had very worn stone steps tells me that it was very old and well used. I can't find any information online about this, But I do remember a Halloween event at the Oak House in the 1990s, and I recall a story to do with Cromwell staying there. Obviously, I don't know how true this is, but it does seem very plausible. Don't know too much about the tunnel to the castle either, but this could be something like underground caverns, bearing in mind the lime workings under the castle. As this has got my interest, I've just emailed Oak House asking these questions for any validation, so I'll let you know what they come back with. Still, very interesting. My mum is an identical twin, and my aunt has said the same on many occasions. To also expand upon the house that my mother lived in, we had her stay with us over Christmas, and I tried to get a floor plan layout of the place from her. She told me that at the top of the stairs where they turned left was a door in front that led from the bend in the stairs. Her parents forbid anybody to go in that room and due to harsh penalties if they disobeyed their parents, nobody did go in that room. In fact, my mum doesn't recall her parents even going in there. My mum did tell me though if she was awake at night she would hear tapping and knocking coming from that room on many occasions when everyone else was in bed. The wall her bed was against was the dividing wall to that room. I asked why she didn't look. She said she was more fearful of her parents by disobeying them, as were her siblings, so nobody bothered with it. I asked if there were any windows that could be seen from the outside, but she didn't recall any. I have lots more stories for you, some recent that are ongoing, so to speak. Anyway, hope you and your family have a great New Year's Eve and a great New Year. I'm just off to the Chinese takeaway 
and then on to listening to The Ghosts of Castle Leslie. Many thanks. Keith. And that, I'm afraid, is where we are going to end this episode. But there are two more Listener Stories episodes to come, and I can't wait for you all to hear the amazing and creepy tales contained within them. The response to these listener-driven episodes has been truly astounding, and I really can't thank you all enough for taking the time out to type out your experiences, but to also have the confidence and trust knowing that they will be treated with the utmost respect. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story, so it's easy for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost privacy and respect. And if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at my studio, Pink Flamingo Music Productions in Hells Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you have a piece of music you'd like mixing or mastering, or if you have a podcast that needs title music writing, or maybe you want your whole podcast editing and prepping for distribution, then why not get in touch with me via email at pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com with your inquiry and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. For a list of all research sources which I found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Welcome to the mysterious world of the Skylark Bell. Our story begins on the outskirts of a small town called Pocket, where Margaret Phaeton, better known as Magpie, must connect a series of unexplained events, psychic visions, and century-old folktales before the mysterious silence hanging over the abandoned farm at Meadow Lane spreads to the entire town. The Skylark Bell is a fiction podcast in serial format, with new chapters every Friday, and bonus episodes that recount real-life paranormal experiences. Find The Skylark Bell on all major platforms and at theskylarkbell.com. I'm Melissa Oliveri. Thank you for listening.